something different. And uh, the prayer time, I think, is something that we need to, you know, this is, this is the house of God. The house of God is a house of prayer. And so uh, pointing you in a different direction, I'm going to uh, be preaching out of Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. I want to speak tonight about defeating discouragement. Defeating discouragement in Nehemiah chapter 4. How many of you would, would honestly say, you could say, uh, Pastor Jason, I've, I've, I know what discouragement feels like, and there are significant parts of my life that I've been discouraged. Can you be honest with me and admit to that? I think we all, if we were all honest, we would say that discouragement. Dis- discouragement um, is universal, number one. None of us are immune to discouragement, and anyone that we know uh, or have known has, has been discouraged at one time or another. Um, whether that comes, you know, discouragement can come in different forms, and I'll speak of that a little bit. Sometimes, sometimes discouragement comes in sadness. Sometimes discouragement comes in the form of disappointment. Sometimes discouragement comes and it's manifested in anger. Uh, but we all have experienced it. Not only is discouragement universal, but unfortunately, discouragement is reoccurring. Being discouraged once doesn't give you immunity to the disease of of discouragement. And one can be discouraged over and over again. And in fact, you can be discouraged by your tendency to be discouraged. Have you ever been there? Have you ever thought, here I am again, I'm in this this, this faulty uh, thought life. And it's led me to be discouraged. I'm discouraged about my propensity to being discouraged. And so it's reoccurring. And not only is it universal and reoccurring, but it's contagious. Discouragement can be contagious. Discouragement spreads even by casual contact. People can be discouraged because you are discouraged. You can be discouraged because other people are discouraged. Look with me, please, at Nehemiah chapter 4. I, I want to just pull out for us quickly this evening five sources of discouragement and four curatives for discouragement. The story of Nehemiah, the story of Nehemiah chapter 4, is when Nehemiah has, he has his crew together and he's got a work going He's got a work going. He, uh, Nehemiah's, the, the city of Jerusalem had been ransacked and destroyed. The gates were broken, the, or the gates were burned, the walls were knocked down. And so word got back to Nehemiah that his home uh, city was this way. And he, he got special permission uh, from the king of Babylon to come back and to rebuild these things. And really he had, he had some pretty uh, amazing special favor to be allowed to do that. And so he comes back and, and it's just a mess. And he, the, 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 in chapter, chapter two, chapter one, two, and three, it gives the story of, of Nehemiah surveying the project, looking how massive the project is, recognizing that the project is so big that he's got to engage hundreds of people in the rebuilding of the wall. And then so he, he, he thinks through these things and he inspects the walls. And then he begins, begins in chapter 3 uh, gathering himself these crews, these work crews 
that are craftsmen and they're experts at particular things. And they begin working on the gates in particular. And you can see in chapter 3, verse 1, he, he has a crew that's working on the sheep gate. And then in, chap- in verse 3, he's got a crew working on the fish gate. And he has a, cr- a crew working on the broad wall. He has a crew that's working upon the tower of the furnaces and a crew on the dung gate. Wouldn't you hate to be stuck working on the dung gate? The gate of the fountain, there was a crew working there. And, um, and then around the corner, many were working on these things. And so this is happening. He's got everybody lined up. He's got his crews in order. They've got their, he's got his subs in order. And they've got their, the, the part of the project that they've subbed out. And the work is beginning and the work is happening. And then we get to chapter 4. And we see where the discouragement uh, potentially could come from. Uh, the project is, is moving along, but you've got naysayers. You guys know the naysayers, right? You've, you know the people. You know, the easiest thing in the world to do is to criticize. Uh, and, and you know people that are really good about criticism. They have that spiritual gift. They have that spiritual gift to discourage other people. And, uh, and so Sanballat send, send and Tobiah here in verse, uh, or in the first, first part of, uh, I guess it is in, in, in verse 1, but send Ballad and Tobiah jump on the scene, and they haven't built anything. They've not done anything. They're not even from the area, but they come and they, they level criticism against, against Nehemiah and his crew. And so a source of criticism, I mean, excuse me, a source of, of discouragement, very clearly laid out in here in verses 1 and 2, is criticism. Is criticism. Look with me, please, in Nehemiah 4, 1 and 2. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth, he was furious, and he took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren in the, armies of Samaria, in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of these heaps of the rubbish which were, which were burned? Uh, this is the third time that, that we see in the book of Nehemiah, we come across Sanballat, uh, who was Nehemiah's opposition. And every time that we read about Sanballat, he's standing against Nehemiah. He's positioned himself against Nehemiah. And, and his talent, his gifting, was that he rejected and ridiculed everything that everyone else is trying to do. So in, in way of application, don't be a Sanballat. Now, we're going to talk about being discouraged as a result of having a sand ballot around you or someone that does nothing but criticize. Uh, and by the way, I, th- I think that it's, it's fair, to, it's fair to, to confront someone that's a critic uh, for your own sake and for your own productivity and for your own uh, well-being. But he's cr- criticizing everything. And so sand ballot and his cronies uh, had ridiculed the workers even before they began to work. In chapter 2, verse 19, he said, they laughed at us and despised us. But, and so in here, in chapter 4, he's taken it to the streets. And so Sanballat is making this speech before the army of Samaria, and he's intensifying this ridicule. So not, it, initially it was just a face-to-face, and now he's, he's, brought in, he's brought in a crowd. He's brought in an audience to criticize. And you can see in verses... Uh, verse, verse 2 there, 
All the different ways in which Sanballat was criticizing Nehemiah. He questioned their physical strength. He says this in verse 2. He said, look at these, these feeble Jews. He said, well, they fortified themselves. They're building this wall, but they're weak. And so he's, he's questioning their physical strength. He says, will they sacrifice? So he's, he's ridiculing their religion. He's ridiculing the practice of the Hebrews to, to give sacrifices. And so he's making fun, making fun of that there too. He criticizes their mental capacity to plan. He says, will they finish in a day? Do they think they're going to do this in a day? Well, obviously not. They, they knew that they weren't going to finish in a day. But he was, he was criticizing them and, and, and really making fun of them. He criticizes their craftsmanship. Can they revive these stones? Now, if you have any sort of skilled trade or you are a craftsman in a particular area, guys, if someone starts criticizing your craftsmanship, like that's those fighting words, right? Like if, if you've got a particular skill and someone's coming after that skill or your, your ability to, to do something specific that not many people are able to do. Uh, so th- this is a low blow, really. This is a low blow by Sanballat. To, to the Jews that were working on the wall and, and making fun of them. Can they revive these stones? Are they going to make these stones alive? These feeble Jews, they're not going to be able to do that. And, they, and then they made jokes of their efforts. He said uh, they're, they're building a wall so weak that if a fox climbed up, it would break down their wall of stones. And so they criticize him. Now, I'll say this. Right out of the gate, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you and say that criticism can be discouraging. Ridicule can be discouraging. Questioning can be discouraging if you allow it to be. If you allow it to be. Now, now, Nehemiah could have taken the criticism and he could have turned tailed and run or he could, he could have come after Sanballat. He could have left the wall and wasted time on something that he had been called to do, but he chose to ignore the silliness. So, it's if you, if you allow it to be. Whenever you initiate a righteous effort, you're going to face ridicule. I think back to the, the time when I surrendered to ministry. Uh, for those of you that, that don't know, I, I, uh, I was in the greenhouse in the, in the farm world. I, I did that for years. And in my early 30s, I felt that God was calling me to, to, uh, to ministry, to do it full time. And I argued with God about that because uh, I, I had seen kids get called to, to you know, called to, to, to preach and that when they were 15, 16 years old. And I had certainly I'd been to teen camp and those type of things. And God never did call me until my 30s. And so when I finally surrendered to that call, I had criticism from some pretty unlikely sources. I had Christian friends and... Uh, extended family that were critical of me making a haphazard decision in leaving my career and going into ministry. And I was too young for it to have been a midlife crisis. I wasn't midlife yet. But it kind of felt like that. But I knew that God was doing this, and I knew that, that God was calling me into ministry. And so I pursued I pursued. Uh, furthering my education and, and looking for opportunities to, to serve more and, and going toward that direction. But when I took the plunge, when I took the plunge in 2009 and 2010, I received some pretty, uh, pretty, harsh, pretty harsh criticism. Now, it didn't bug me. 
it doesn't bug me. I have lots of, lots of faults, but critis, criticism doesn't tend to discourage me. But I know that for someone who was maybe more swayed that way, it certainly would have. Um, but expect it. When you, when you decide that you're going to do something, whether it's spiritually right for your family or for yourself, or maybe a health decision, or maybe you've, 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 you're making a particular move in your relationships that's out of the box, expect criticism. Expect it. And the difficulty that, that some have is that some of us want to be liked by people too much. I'm not talking about being disagreeable, but your main driver and your, the thing that pushes you should not be the acceptance of everyone and for everyone just to like you. You'll have to kind of get, get over that. And certainly uh, Nehemiah had to do that as well. And so, so there's discouragement that's caused through criticism. Look down with me, please, in verses 7 and 8. I see that discouragement is also caused by loneliness. The Bible says in verse 7, But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and the breaches began to be stopped, that they were very wroth. They were furious. This, 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 I, this, this sense of being really, really mad at the Jews for building their wall back up spread. And, and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to, hind, and to hinder it. And it's interesting that the enemies have moved from being bothered by the Jews, from making fun of the Jews, to making fun of the project, to belittling the project, to being angry with them. And the passage says that they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to stir up tr- trouble. Warren, Warren Wearsby writes, quote, God's people sometimes have difficulty working together, but the people of the world have no problem uniting in opposition to the work of the Lord. And so you had this, this, this massive opposition, and verse, uh, verse 7 kind of explains this out when you find out where all of these, these groups are from. Sanballat, Tobiah, who was governor of Syria to the north, the Arabs from the south, the Ammonites from the east, the Astonites uh, were the Philistines from the west. They surrounded them, so they were surrounded. Nehemiah and his, and his contractors were surrounded by discouragement. From the north, the south, the east, to the west, they were all discouraging them. Discouragement and interference came from all sides. And certainly that could have been discouraging. Know this, that at times in your life, there'll be many times where the right road is a lonely road. When right decisions must be made and followed through, listen, alone. And you're not gonna get a you're not gonna get a lot of people that go along with you. You're not gonna have maybe you're not gonna have uh, um, the strength and numbers in making a making a right decision. And you've 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 been going down a particular path, and you recognize the self destructive nature of that path, and you and you determine that by God's grace you're gonna go a different direction. Understand that you're gonna f- find that path to potentially being a very very lonely path. And you must be resolute in what God has led you to do. And that charge may be your only companion along the way. 
the way that God spoke to you in reading his word, the way that, that, uh, that God uh, directed you and, and led you a particular way, that may be your only companion in doing right. You may not have a whole lot of attaboys and friends that come with you, and I, and I, and I hope to God that, uh, that, that those at Faith Baptist Church would be supportive in that effort, but you're only at church just a couple of hours a week. And certainly in the world, the world's probably not going to be as enthusiastic about your call as you are. And so that loneliness can be discouraging. Being by yourself can be discouraging. In in transparency, I have a tendency when I'm uh, discouraged or I'm just in a bad way or I'm, I'm angry, I have a tendency to isolate myself. How many of you are the same way? You, you, you don't want to be around anybody, right? You don't want to be around anybody. You don't want to talk to anybody. And that's a bad place to be. That's a really bad place to be because then you start getting in these really, really negative thought patterns. And, and, uh, and, but then that, that loneliness certainly can be discouraging. That loneliness can certainly be discouraging. Um, fatigue and sickness. Look with me, please, at verse 10, quickly. Uh, verse 10, and Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burden is decayed. It's, it's broken down. He says, and there is much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. Fatigue and sickness. Fatigue and sickness. Simply put, the workers were tired. This is a pretty significant project here. The stones are heavy. The gates were, were iron. It's, it's, it's physically taxing, taxing. They were hitting it hard and they needed some rest. And the phrase there of, uh, of decaying is, is the, the idea of giving out, the idea of staggering, of tottering, of stumbling. And so they were exhausted. And you may, you may recognize this for yourself, that when you're physically drained, it's, in, it's very easy to become discouraged. And the littlest of things will discourage you. It's also interesting to notice that the workers became fatigued and discouraged. Verse 6 says that the wall was built to half its height. So pretty quickly there, they got half of the job done. The gates were taking shape. The the story says that the walls were being built, and they kind of plateaued. How many of you start home projects like that? Right, You start a project like that. Joe, you do? You don't finish them? Only home projects get like that, right? Right. Like the painter's house that needs painting, right? So I was in the I was in like the, uh, the greenhouse nursery plant business for years and years, and so everyone assumes that our house is immaculately landscaped, and uh, uh, it's not. It's not because you're, you're kind of that way. But uh, we're that way. But so the the project had started off quickly, and it it had maybe plateaued some. The excitement of the new pro, the the excitement of building the wall had kind of waned a little bit. But when the newness wears off and the work became becomes routine and boring, then it's easy to become fatigued. You don't have the excitement of 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 the new thing that you're starting. And I'm making this as general, general as I can because the new thing that you're starting or the effort that you're involved in, it may be, it may be uh, initiating family devotions with your family. The new thing that you're starting, maybe it's a new job. The new thing that you're starting maybe is a, a personal health goal. Whatever it may be, you know how that the beginning of that thing is, is full of inspiration. 
But when it just becomes routine, that's where the fatigue manifests itself. Verse 10 says, we cannot rebuild the wall. And so they were ready to throw in the towel. These are the same people that were described in verse 6 as those that had worked with all their hearts. And so my point of application with not being discouraged from fatigue and and sickness is, is this. If you're feeling fatigued or sick, watch out. Be careful. Tiredness can lead to discouragement. I was talking to uh, someone before the service, but you remember what God did when Elijah was tired. He sent an angel to give him some bread and something to drink, and then he told him to go to sleep. You can't burn the candle at both ends on a long-term basis, and sometimes the most important, the most spiritual thing that you can do is to take a nap. Sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is to shut down early at the end of the day. And I know that that's, I know that that's platitudes, because I know you're busy, and I'm busy too. And so the, the, thought of, the thought of taking a nap seems like an impossible thing. I don't know when I've taken a nap the last time. I guess Sunday afternoon, but uh, not, on a, not on a weekday basis necessarily. But you need to take time to rest. You need to take time to reset physically, Spiritually, mentally, you need that time. You need that time. Sickness and fatigue can lead to discouragement. We need to move quickly on. Also in verse 10, we see not only were, were they facing uh, fatigue, but they were also facing distraction. Look what it says at the end of the... I'll read the whole verse together because it's connected. And Judah said the strength of the bearers, is, uh, the bearers of burden is decayed, and there is much rubbish... There's much rubbish so that they are not able to build the wall. So verse 10 goes on to say that there's so much junk that they were finding it difficult to build the wall. And they became discouraged because they were so aggravated with the situation. And probably what exacerbated the discouragement was that they were tired and they were being criticized and they were lonely and that all around them was just junk. All around them was stuff. So when it comes to home projects, man, I can handle the demo. You give me the demo, you give me a sledge, and give me a crowbar, and I'll tear up some drywall now. I'll pull some studs out. I'll make a mess of things. That's generally what I do, is make a mess of things, and I do really well. And there, there was all of this rubbish, and there were pieces of, of stone and pieces of iron and, and, and burnt, smoldering things, and, and it was just a... a, a, a a pile of, uh, of broken rocks and dirt and dried out mortar and debris, and they were climbing over it. It was, it was uh, underfoot so much that they had lost sight of the goal. And I think sometimes we can also lose sight of the goal when we have too much garbage in our own lives. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, challenges us to get rid of anything that causes us to be frustrated in our pursuit of godliness. Let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that easily entangles us and besets us. And then that allows us to run with patience and endurance the race that is set before us. And I don't know what the rubble is in your life. I don't know what the rubbish is in your life. Maybe it's the internet. Maybe it's a possession that you're holding on to. 
Maybe it's an unhealthy relationship. Maybe there's a sin that you've been playing around with too long. Whatever it is, there's something maybe that's been, that you've been doing in secret that you think no one else knows about it. So as the writer of Hebrews says, throw it off. So it doesn't entangle you. So it doesn't entrap you. So it doesn't trip you up. And just as the workers on the, on the wall were frustrated and discouraged because their workstation was such a mess. Matt, do you have a good work? Do you have a tidy workstation? I bet you do. You know, there's some of us that have, that have a mess of a workstation and some that have a tidy workstation. Tony, I bet you have an immaculate workstation. I bet you do. I bet it. Now, my workshop looks like at any given time that there's been an earthquake and, and the drawers are all open and there's, there's stuff on the floor. And, and, uh, and so, but, but that can be frustrating. You're trying to knock out a quick project. I had a, I had a piece of trim on our house in Avon in the hallway that for years there was a piece of trim that I did not put on the wall. It was between our, it was between our, uh, our, our towel closet and the bathroom. I never put that on. And part of the reason why is I was so disorganized with my tools. I had no idea where my brad nailer was. No, I still don't know where my brad nailer is. I think that I lent it to someone in this church and you've not given me my brad nailer back is what I'm hoping. And so, uh, but, but you know that it can be discouraging. Sometimes the discouragement when it comes to spiritual things or maybe, the, maybe a, 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 uh, a resolution that you've made and you've lost sight of that because your life is so cluttered with stuff. The older that I get, the less stuff that I want. The older that I get, the more that I just want to be freed from anything that's going to slow me down or, or, or um, I'm disorganized, but I'm a minimalist. And so fortunately, fortunately, I'm not a maximalist and disorganized because you, you couldn't get in the workshop. But sometimes it's distraction. Then lastly, a cause of, dis, of discouragement can be fear. Look at 11 and 12. And our adversaries said, They shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. And as it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them, they said unto us ten times, From all places whence from all places which ye shall return unto us, they will be upon you. The enemies of the Lord's work had struck fear into the hearts of God's people, and they felt like giving up again. And remember what they said. They said, we cannot build the wall. You notice in verse 12, who gets afraid the quickest? The Jews who lived near them that came and told us ten times over. Those most affected by fear are those who live and engage with pessimistic people. If you want to limit the depressing thoughts that bring fear into your life, it's best to not hang around depressing, negative people. There are certain people that are just really, really good and proficient about discouraging others. And you see that the Jews that were the closest to those that were the critics were becoming the most discouraged. Fear puts us, see, in a frame of mind where we cannot, uh, we cannot only become discouraged, we can also be deceived. I don't want to spoil the ending, but I'm going to give it away. The enemies never do attack Jerusalem. The enemies never did. So all of that fear was for naught, was wasted emotion. In the book, Scared to Life, the author Douglas Rumford cites a study that shows 
why we shouldn't let fear rule our lives. Here's some interesting stats. 60% of our fears are completely unfounded. The things that you're afraid of, there's no basis for fearing those things. 60%. 20% of the things that we're fearful of are behind us and have already happened. 10% are so petty, they don't make any difference. 5% are real, but we can't do anything about them. 5% are real, and we can do something about them. So what if we used the emotional effort that we expend and the concern that we expend and all of these things that don't matter, that are, that are not reasonable, that aren't going to take place on the 5% of things that you could actually do something about? Imagine how effective we would be in meeting those needs at that time. And we live in the greatest, uh, the greatest modern marketing strategy machine. Understand all of your media is geared to create fear and panic and anxiety. It's fear-based marketing. It influences the audience's psychology and it urges us to take action to minimize that fear. A lack of discernment as a consumer will likely result in being discouraged by external circumstances, both real and fictional. You can apply that as you need to. But Christians, we need not be, we need not be manipulated by fear tactics. We should be fearless. So those are five sources. I want to very quickly give you uh, five anecdotes to defeating discouragement. So turn back with me, um, back to chapter 4. Look at verses 4 and 5 with me. Defeating discouragement. How to defeat discouragement. Number one, ask for God's help. Ask for God's help. Look at verse 4. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. Who's he praying imprecatory prayers against? The critics. Pastor Jason, is, is it scriptural to pray against my enemies? It certainly seems to be especially in efforts of, of trying, to, uh, in trying to do what's right and to follow the Lord's will and to lead your family in a particular way and lead yourself in a way. Nehemiah cries out to God. He requested God's help uh, over and over again. In chapter 1 for Jerusalem, in chapter 2, he prays a prayer in front of the king. Now in chapter 4, he prays two different times. And before he launches out, he prays. He didn't give lectures to the workers. He initially didn't organize um, uh, um, the, the workers in a different way just yet. He, he didn't create a, uh, a propaganda campaign against the enemy, but he got on his knees and he prayed. Defeating discouragement should always result, uh, we should always start with requesting God's help. Without getting in, into too many details, because we don't have time for it, and you, you don't necessarily care. Uh, man, I was, I, was, I was in the flesh all day today. You guys are never this way. Man, I was in the flesh all day. I was in the flesh all day. I was carnal. I was angry. The way that discouragement manifests itself in my life is through anger. And I tend to, I tend to not 
uh, push against that as quickly as I should for the very simple fact that for me, the emotion of anger is incredibly, uh, is incredibly um, efficient. I can get a lot of work done when I'm mad. And that's the way I, I manifest. Today I was just angry. I was just angry, and I don't even know what I was angry about. You know how you, know how you just get? You're just mad at everybody. You're mad at the world. And the best thing to do is like to avoid people. You just try to stay away from people because you're like, I'm going to be mean. I'm going to say something that I shouldn't. And I was, I was out here this afternoon. I was walking around. I'm like, man, I'm just mad. And I was thinking of the things that I was mad. And I was thinking, all right, I've got to get, I've, I'm going to preach later. I've got to get in the right, the right attitude before I preach. I don't want my anger to come across while I'm preaching. What do I do? What's my first step? And I'm like, I've already have my outline as to what I'm supposed to be doing. And, and point, one, point one, this was already written, point one was to ask for God's help. And I go down through these points, and this afternoon walking around that, that big uh, eastern white oak tree, I'm, I'm asking God, God, I need your help. I'm mad at everybody. I'm mad at my wife and kids, and I'm mad at the, uh, the guy that's driving on the street, and I'm mad at the church, and I'm mad at everybody. You guys aren't like this, and I'm sorry that I'm showing you uh, this side of myself, but it's mad of everybody. But what I needed to do was ask for God's help. I was discouraged, so I began there. I began asking for God's help. Number two, how to cure a curative for for discouragement? Act decisively. Look with me, please, at verse nine. We're going to look at verse thirteen and verse twenty-one. Remember, all of this criticism, all of this loneliness, all of this pressure was coming. On Nehemiah, so we see that he prays, but then we also see that he acts decisively. Look at verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God, and we set a watch against them day and night because of them. So that you see there's a, bit of, there's a little bit of a change in strategy there. They pray, but they're keeping an eye on these guys that are critical of them, that are actually actively wanting to destroy them. Look at verse 13. Therefore set I in the lower places behind the wall, and on the higher places I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. So they've added to, the, to their tool belt their, their armament. There was, a, there was a problem there, and Nehemiah had to act decisively and change strategy a little bit. Verse 21. So we labored in the work, and half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. Nehemiah had already organized the people in chapter 3 uh, according to their craftsmanship. And they had finished half of the task. Now a new, a new situation arrives, and it's going to take a change in organization. If the enemies were going to attack... They would, have, they would be attacking at the weakest places. So Nehemiah puts guards at all of the vulnerable places of the project. And he did it for two purposes. Number one, it discouraged the enemy. And it also encouraged the people and it helped them deal with their fear. Understanding that the, that, uh, that the fear didn't leave them helpless. That they weren't going to be victims, but they were going to protect themselves. They were going to protect the work. When we're discouraged, one of the things that we can do is to reorganize our priorities. When we're discouraged, we can reorganize our priorities. Look at your life. Adopt a change in approach instead of being so discouraged that you'll quit. 
You got a problem with your wife? Don't bail on the marriage. Change your approach. Adapt a new attitude. Get some help. Do you have a problem with temptation? Don't give up. Implement safeguards. Do you have a problem in your walk with God? Don't stop following Christ. Reorganize your schedule so you can meet with Him on a more regular basis. Don't be overcome by discouragement. Do something about it. And so Nehemiah was proactive in that. And he, he mobilized all of these craftsmen and told them to get some of them to get their spears and get their swords. And you know that probably riled them up incredibly. Act decisively. If you feel yourself getting discouraged, take a look at your life. Be introspective and do something about it. If you feel discouragement coming on or bitterness coming on, do something about it. Act decisively. Don't stand passively by and let your emotions run away with your life. Number three, encourage someone. Look at verse 14. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Encourage someone. Nehemiah knew that even in the face of opposition, that the success of the wall was wholly dependent upon God, who inspired it in its beginning. So when you're down, turn your attention away from your discouragement and turn it to the one that's able to do something about it. And you do that so in prayer, certainly. That God that was faithful to you, that's been faithful to you in the past, he's faithful today. Remember his goodness. Remember his power. Remember the Lord and his promises. Our God is great and awesome, as he, as he points out in that verse there. And if you focus on all the junk in your life and the junk in the lives of others, you will become discouraged. So when you're down, you turn your attention away from your discouragement and to focus on someone, giving them attention and helping them overcome their discouragement as well, helping someone with their problems in life. And very lastly here, uh, chapter 6, verse 15. Chapter 6, verse 15. So the wall was finished. So the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month, Elul, in 50 and 2 days. One of the best ways to cure discouragement is to accomplish what you started to do. Finish that thing you were led to start to do. The wall was finished. That thing that had consumed Nehemiah for so long was finally completed. And all the criticism and all the loneliness and all the fatigue and the doubt and confusion, it's all behind him. That's in the past. That thing that God had led him to do had been accomplished. And those critics, they were silenced. God received the glory. Nehemiah and his crews could be encouraged that they did according to their calling. And you know as well as I know that there's nothing like finishing a long task to bring fulfillment. That home project that you started and you finished it, there's great satisfaction with that. That initiative that you started in your life and your walk with Christ, 
Maybe you began it at the beginning of the year and God gave you some specific direction, but because of discouragement and scheduling and that, you got away from it. Get back to that. Implement some changes that you may have to make in your life and complete what you've been called to do. If it's important enough to start, it's important enough to finish. They finished the wall. And they certainly could have been discouraged all along the way. And discouragement did creep in. But, but I believe that Nehemiah led uh, his own self and led those that were following him in, in some good, correct, uh, righteous steps into, into fending off, into fending off uh, discouragement and then to finish the thing that God had called them to do. And there's nothing better. So my challenge to you is to recognize what triggers your discouragement, what triggers your just being in a bad way. Give it to the Lord. Assess, assess your, your life and your schedule accordingly. Encourage someone, act decisively on that, and defeat discouragement. All right, let's pray.